Replacement is down. Butker's kick is up. The spinning kick high. Floating in the air. And it is good. Good. A lot of trash talk coming from a lot of different places. I think no one picked us to win. If so, it was like 5% of people. Um, and uh, we think we've built up enough respect to uh, have a chance to go out and win every game. Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party! 702 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program now underway. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a second here. Uh, hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, I also got to remind you, since we're on the subject of the football, Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by our very own Randy Janda. Uh, he's going to wrestle a bear now. We up the Yeah, ante. that's crazy, man. Plus with the, the juggling of the chainsaws and the breathing of fire and all the drinking he's going to be doing. That's... It's, it is truly going to be a super Sunday, mm-hmm. as the read tells me to say. Uh, real quick, kickoff <laughs> is at 3.30. Uh, tailgate in advance of kickoff. Drink specials prizing throughout the day. Uh, the Clayton Public House. Good food, good people. Good times. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. Happy to be joined by our next guest. It is Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm thinking about that that tailgate that's going to happen and how hazardous it sounds, but also how legendary it sounds. I mean, very, not very there, dangerous. You better get there. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I've never actually seen someone tailgate outside of a bar to only then go inside of the bar. Because mm-hmm. theoretically, yeah, everything you could do thing. outside yeah. of the bar, you could do inside no, of the they, bar. No, they've, they've said we don't want juggling chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. In the bar. <laughs> hey, Nick, you heard the audio that we played coming back from break. Like, I think I knew that the Chiefs felt like there was a, a lot of disrespect going on and a lot of talk from Cincinnati, but they just wanted to make sure after punching their ticket to the Super Bowl that everybody knew that they were well aware of the disrespect and the chatter. Yeah, I don't think I've I've heard a team blatantly refer to the type of bulletin board material that Cincinnati provided the Chiefs with, and they provided plenty, let me tell you. I don't think I've heard a team, you know, refer to that immediately after a win in a, like that in a long time. Yeah. I could go to baseball and think about the Yankees and the whole Rock the Baby thing, but that developed within the series. Uh, this is a little bit different. And I, I had, you know, when, when Cincinnati's mayor made that proclamation on Friday, I was like, oh, I don't know if that's the tree you want to be barking up, guys. I mean, I know you've won your last three, but this is uh, – Let's not forget how you felt when you got to the Super Bowl last year. It felt like a near miracle, the fact that you took down the Chiefs in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, sometimes I think, you know, reality hits you fast and and will humble you from time to time. But it it was a game that, you know, the Bengals had a chance to win. And just like, you know, the Chiefs ended up pulling out, and you can say, you know, whatever you want about how it ended. But, yeah, the Chiefs, I mean, they played with a lot, you know, a pretty big chip on their shoulder. And, and you could tell, you know, typically teams kind of ignore it and say, nah, we didn't pay attention to that or whatever. This this Chiefs team very much heard everything that was coming out of Cincinnati and said, oh, well, if we needed any 
additional fuel to the fire beyond the fact that this team beat us and, and denied us a chance to return to the Super Bowl last year, beyond the fact that we haven't beaten them three in each of the last three games, uh, this certainly would would, uh, would assist that. And, and, and I thought it was a little crazy, I think, too, from the Cincinnati perspective that, look, you know, this is a team that has turned around very quickly and become a, a very strong team in, you know, almost overnight. Uh, I think sometimes sometimes uh, some franchises and their fan bases need to learn how to be uh, winners with class and know when to not bark up the wrong tree. So I think they got a nice little lesson yesterday. I have to admit I bristle at the mere mention of the word legacy because we heard Russell Wilson in this neck of the woods say it so many times that it it lost all meaning. Um, But for the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to be playing a team in the Philadelphia Eagles that – has also won a Super Bowl in the last little while. And it's a, it will be incredible if the Eagles do beat the Chiefs a couple of weeks from now that the Eagles, in fact, will have more Super Bowls over the last, what, six or seven years than the Chiefs. Um, how important is it for the Chiefs to actually, like, they've been in all these title games. They have won the one Super Bowl. But to be, a, to be you know, like a, a dynasty team, you need more than one. Yeah, um, I I think back to the old Teddy Bruschi clip where he was uh, recalling you know the, the the Patriots' third Super Bowl victory in four years and how they ended that game and they said hey you know if we win this they're going to call us a dynasty right you know, like that's that's different that's not, that's so much bigger than just winning a couple of Super Bowls um, and and I feel like yeah you, you get a little bit of the same kind of vibe from the Chiefs and the fact that. You know they've been here. They've they've been around. They've this will be the third Super Bowl in four years, and yet every time I think about it, and I think a lot of people, you know, think back and are kind of surprised that they've only had that one win. And and let's not forget how they won that Super Bowl. It required a frantic comeback in the fourth quarter to beat the 49ers in one of the you know the, the more exciting Super Bowl finishes you're ever going to see. This is a team that um, has put up a ton of numbers, uh, has been explosive in the regular season, and has kind of tripped in the playoffs at least last year and in the Super Bowl two years ago when they were dominated by the Buccaneers as well. So they need this, I think, not, even, not only for the legacy and, the, and this, the talk of a dynasty, but to kind of justify. And, and, you know, getting the Super Bowl is, is a huge achievement in itself, but kind of justify their standing. I mean, last year they, they struggled through the first six, seven games of the season. It looked like they might not even make the playoffs before finally getting back to the doorstep of the Super Bowl and then losing to the Bengals. So, I you know, Patrick Mahomes has a lot of good years left, and they continue to find ways to remain competitive, and especially with Andy Reid. But nobody's getting any younger. You know, you got to capitalize on these opportunities because you don't know when they're going to come along again. They've been there three of the last four years, but if, you know, ask Dan Marino how hard it is to get back to the Super Bowl. It's not an easy feat. So I think when when you're there, you got to capitalize. And on the flip side, you talk about the Eagles. Uh, two com- almost completely different teams getting to the Super Bowl, which is uh, a testament to the strength of Howie Rosen as a general manager and being able to flip a roster pretty quickly. I don't think anybody saw this coming from the Eagles, you know, even two years ago, but not until they probably went out and acquired A.J. Brown and yeah. kind of pushed their chips to the center of the table that we think that they could even be in this position. So for them to get back here, a remarkable achievement. Um, I wonder if, you know, because this is – you got both the Kelseys on each you know team, right? Mm-hmm. You got some veterans in Philadelphia who can keep them kind of grounded. But I wonder if this is an example of, uh, you know, which team is just going to be happy to be there and which team is going to be out there to win. I got a feeling that neither team is going to just be happy to be there, which should set up for a really good game. Yeah, like the, the matchup's amazing. And I look at Philly, and I think that they're the most versatile team 
in the NFL. Like they've got more talent at more spots than anybody collectively. Because I watch that game and I know that once Purdy got hurt, it was over. It was lights out for the Niners. But you know, the the Niners defense still was putting up a hell of an effort and balling out. It's just Philly found different ways to be. Like the pass rush is really, really dynamic and had a huge impact on that game. If Jalen Hurts isn't necessarily getting it done through the air with regularity, they can run the ball about 18 different ways on you. Hurts can make plays with his feet. Like they just are, and this again goes back to Roseman and his ability to build a team. They just have so much talent at so many different positions. Um, I'm not saying that, this, you know, I like them as a slight favorite going into this game, but I just think that they're the perfect foil for this team, this this Chiefs team that's been around for a while, getting back to their f- fifth Super Bowl. It's almost like this this Eagles team is the sort of new up-and-coming power, and they get to go up against a little bit more of a legacy team with the Chiefs, who have obviously been to five consecutive uh, AFC title games. Yeah, I, although, you know, there is a difference, I think, in new and up-and-coming power, and it's, you know, this is not the Seattle Seahawks of 2013-2014. The reason I say that is, that Seahawks team had a ton of young guys that everybody kind of overlooked that all came up at the right time and all True. played really well at the perfect time. Whereas this Eagles team, you know, they got young talent. They've got the Hurts. They've got, you know, Brown. They, but they also have a ton of veterans. Um, you know, they got Lane Johnson, a right tackle, Kelsey at center. Uh, you look on the defensive side of the football, and the two guys they picked up during the regular season, Livall Joseph and, and Dominican Sue. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, I mean, Darius Slay, they've got guys who have been around for a while. Uh, and, and I think that's what's really helped them become such a good team almost overnight with the young quarterback and some of the young playmakers elsewhere. It's a nice blend. It's a blend for a, te- for a roster that, that screams to me Super Bowl winner. And it would probably, I would probably feel even stronger about it if they weren't playing a team like the Chiefs. Um, but yeah, I think it makes for a fantastic matchup. And, and honestly, you know, watching them this whole season and and kind of the second half of last season, I'm excited to see that running game finally get the recognition it deserves because man, I love Kenneth Gainwell. Okay. I love watching him run the football. They do it with him and uh, watching him, you know, thrive in the last couple of weeks, along with Boston Scott, Miles Sanders and everything, everybody else. uh, It has been very exciting Uh, for me. It's like, yes, now the world finally gets to figure out, you know, how talented Kenneth Gainwell is. I know it's kind of a a weird thing to want, uh, you know, achieve, but it, it, it's been fun to watch them. So I think we're going to get a fantastic matchup. I wonder though, you know, as we've kind of talked through this, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to say that the, the Eagles are a flash in the pan type of team, but this is a type of team I think that needed a lot to go right in terms of health to get here. Um, I wonder what it's going to look like next year. Not to get too far ahead of us, sure, sure. just because I'm always trying to think forward. Uh, I wonder what it's going to look like for them years ahead, but, Definitely an, a phenomenal matchup that I cannot wait to see. I want to get ahead of ourselves with the 49ers. Who's going to be their starting quarterback next season? That's a fair question. Also, let me let me also say this real quick. Okay. That, that game yesterday in Philadelphia was closer than the final score indicated, and I've seen a ton of, you know, oh, the Eagles had an easy path to the Super Bowl and everything else. Couldn't have been any easier for them. They played against, you know, a quarterback who got hurt in the first series or whatever they want to say. Uh, that game was still very tight until Josh Johnson did not recover his own fumble right before halftime. Okay. And so this Niners team, you know, was a lot better than I think people realize, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, who's going to play quarterback for the next year? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great question because I think, you know, had Brock Purdy gotten into the Super Bowl, um, it would be a very difficult uh, thing to do is to to go away from him. But then again, you have all this invested in Trey Lance in terms of draft capital you've given up, the fact that he's on this rookie deal. It's, it's a high-paying contract. 
you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I expect him to be gone, but who knows? Um, so I guess I would say Purdy, a combination of Purdy and Lance. They could do what they wanted to do with Jimmy and, and Trey Lance a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a very unique and interesting situation. But the way that it ended threw a wrench into it for me, at least. Uh, I think the Niners are probably more steadfast and in, in, in convicted in the way that they look at their quarterback room. But again, you don't know what we have in Trey Lance. You don't you don't know. The NFL world does not really know what the 49ers have in Trey Lance. And and it's because he just hasn't gotten enough reps. So it's going to be a very intriguing storyline to follow throughout the offseason, throughout camp and everything else. And I think the only thing, that, thing that's going to be different is we're not going to have Jimmy Garoppolo exiled to the other practice field. The right, time. right. No, I mean, we talked about it earlier. And we're like, do you just run the risk of having it be an open competition and may the best man win? Because behind that conversation and that battle is always going to be you spent so much draft capital to get Trey Lance in the door and you virtually spent none in Mr. Irrelevant. It was the last pick that you had in the entire draft. I, I don't know if the playing field will ever be even because of that, but it seems like one of the options that's going to be presented to Shanahan and Lynch and company. Well, somebody could do them a huge favor by making an offer for Trey Lance and getting some sort of return on the, on the investment there. The thing is, is that nobody's seen enough of him to really want to make that offer unless they believe that they see something that the rest of the league hasn't yet seen. So um, it is always going to be an issue just like because of what you just described. It's just that, you know, some quarterbacks end up fitting perfectly. Some quarterbacks end up being a flash in the pan. I think about Derek Anderson in Cleveland in 2007. After that, the Browns fans thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl next year, and he came back to earth, and he was, you know, never quite the productive quarterback he was in that specific single season. So I think that those are not quite apples-to-apples comparisons, but – um, you know, I, I've seen teams get fooled before. I don't think Brock Purdy is the guy that's fooling anyone. It's just a bummer that he went out the way he went out on Sunday because it does add a little bit of uncertainty going into the offseason when he had he was looked like nothing but a slam dunk prior to, to, to yesterday's events. Uh, let's flip back to the AFC title game for a sec because a lot of people are talking about the obvious big talking points, which is the OSI penalty, the 15-yard roughing the pass, which set up the Butker field goal. They're also talking about a lit- litany of calls that went against the Bengals. And I, all that is like valid and worth discussing. But I think what gets lost in all of this is that you could make the argument that the Bengals probably lost that game in the first half and maybe in the first quarter where they just didn't get anything going. And that patchwork O-line that's been really banged up finally got exposed. Like, Burrow got sacked three times in the first quarter, and I think they had zero net yards. Like, they did nothing on offense, and it wasn't a banner day for Burrow whatsoever. And I guess that conversation leads into the uh, Chris Jones conversation because my word – can he play? He was a beast yesterday. So that's that's another really interesting angle to all this as well. Because everyone wants to put this on Mahomes and the hobbling and the the busted ankle and everything. But I think it was really, the, especially in the first half, that Chiefs, Chiefs defense and what they were able to do to Burrow or let him not do that made all the difference. Well, I think both can be true. Um, I, I, the way you start a game is very important. You know, it's almost as, as important as the way you finish the game. But you know, like statistically, let's think about this real quick. You, know, you talk about those three sacks, you know, in the first quarter. The Chiefs had a pressure rate over fifty percent in the first quarter, and it fell to twenty-two point five percent over the final three quarters. Okay, right. so what basically what it was is the defense gave them the opportunity to get out to a hot start, and Patrick Mahomes kind of carried them across the finish line. Of course, with how we saw, and that's that's football in a nutshell. That's football is is complimentary uh, performance from both sides of the ball, and then of course your special teams as well coming through at the end. So. 
Um, I, I think that, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is going to get the headlines because he's Patrick Mahomes because offense sells in this league. But I, I also think that we should certainly not overlook the, the game that Chris Jones had. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right about the Bengals. And, the, and the, they, look, they spent a lot of money in the offseason trying to address what was their clear greatest weakness in the postseason last year. It's what lost in the Super Bowl, essentially, was the fact that they – could not trust their offensive line to block premier defensive tackles, premier three techniques. And then what happens? They come into the AFC championship game uh, with multiple offensive linemen out and a premier three technique who then gets moved out to a, a five on the most important play of the game and dominates your right tackle, who was a backup for most of the season prior to the loss of the guy you actually acquired to play that position. Uh, that ends up, you know, basically costing you a chance to get back to the Super Bowl again. So it sucks for the Bengals fans because it's deja vu. You know, it's, oh, you know, what do we have to do to get an offensive line that's actually healthy enough to play in our biggest games and can get us, you know, over the hump? Well, you know, you, you made it last year. You didn't this year. And I, and I think that this goes back to, you know, maybe they were a little bit too confident because, yeah, they had a solid game in Buffalo, but there was also snow on the ground constantly, which is going right. to kind of, you know, take away some of the strength of an opposing pass rush. I think they were exposed. I thought that the Bengals did a good job of responding because that's the team they've been all year. It's a team that can go down and respond and keep things close. But when you look back at this game, that's what the story is going to be is, wow, how do we let Patrick Mahomes on an, an ankle and a half, you know, end up beating us the way that he did? And how do we let this opportunity, more importantly than anything, slip through our fingers? Because they had the ball. They had an opportunity to go down the field. It was a long field. They had the opportunity to go down the field, and they didn't get the job done. It's as simple as that. Uh, I got one final question. I want to nerd out a bit because Bruff and I and another buddy were texting back and forth about this ever so briefly yesterday. Uh, the notion of the lateral in the National Football League, because I know Kelsey did it once. It was not pretty. And then he almost looked like he was trying to do it a couple other times. And we started talking about it like you would think that the idea of implementing it into the game plan because of the unpredictability of it would be a thing that more coaches and coordinators would do. But I guess when you see it play out in real time, it makes it a little bit more inherently risky. Cause if you don't get it right, it's got the possibility to be a massive disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny. I saw somebody tweet me last night about, you know, I, as a rugby fan for, you know, three decades or whatever, I don't know why more NFL teams don't adopt it. It's because possession is so valued. In right, right. Right. It right, is okay. treated like a priceless gem. But you know what? If Kelsey's ladder is a little bit higher and timed a little bit better on what was essentially like a stick and ladder, like a hook and ladder, uh, attempted in the second or first or second quarter of a game, uh, which is insane because you only see those in moments of desperation. That's a long touchdown, and everyone's praising Andy Reid, the, the creative mastermind Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and everybody else getting it done if that ladder always is pulled off. And then you're going to see teams try and mimic it you know, in, in other games, we had that week a few, it was about what, a month and a half ago. It was late in the season where uh, the chiefs are trying to lateral. And it was only after the Patriots had accidentally lateraled their way to a loss in Vegas against the Raiders. And it seemed like everybody was suddenly trying to lateral uh, in situations in which we haven't seen it. Maybe that's the way we actually kind of go as a game. Uh, not immediately, but as the game morphs, you know, and, and evolves over many years, maybe that becomes more common because when executed correctly, it works out. Uh, the Jaguars did it. Uh, against uh, the Chargers in the playoffs. Yeah, that's you know? right. So, yeah, it works out. You know, it does. When it's executed right, it works out, but it is risky. 
But you know what else is risky? A, a pass and a double coverage where you're trying to drop it in the bucket, like uh, like Joe Burrow did to T. Higgins right. last night. Well, yeah, well, there's a lot of risk in this game. Yeah, because I mean, I remember it at the end of the Lions Packers game when the Lions did sort of similar hook and ladder, and everyone was just like, you can't, you. They caught the defense so off guard by it. I just wonder if we'll see it more. But anyway, that's enough of nerding out on the rugby football crossover. We got to go. We're up against it for time. Thanks a lot, as always, for doing this, Nick. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the Pro Bowl. I don't think I've ever said that out loud before. And we'll uh, <laughs> let's try and do this again before the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah, I'm fired up for flag football. All right, I'll catch you guys later. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. So there is some breaking news in NHL circles. Uh, one of the game's greatest stars, but also one of the most controversial personalities, has reportedly passed away, Bobby Hull. Dead at the age of 84. Um, Bobby Hull was one of the most feared shooters in NHL history. He had a shot that was ridiculously ahead of its time. Uh, He won a Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks in, I think, 1961. Um, Art Ross Trophy winner three times, Hart Trophy winner twice, but also a very controversial personality off the ice said some very controversial things, denied saying those things, but also had a history of, um, well, there was allegations of domestic violence. There was uh, allegations that he had a very wicked temper, uh, drank too much. Um, Bobby Hull was a complicated personality. There were some people that will say on this day that he has reportedly passed away, according to the Daily Herald in Chicago and then other outlets have been confirming. We should celebrate the hockey player. I never believe that. I think when someone passes away, you should celebrate and talk about, not necessarily celebrate, you should talk about the person. And Bobby Hall was a terrific, terrific hockey player. But his personality was one that got him into trouble with his remarks and also had people debating, for example, whether or not he should still represent the Chicago Blackhawks. And ultimately, the Blackhawks made the decision to end the ambassadorship mm-hmm. that Bobby Hull was serving for the team. And that just happened recently. Um, so, yes, we're getting, we just got um, wind of this news. Which very be, breaking. Being reported by a couple different outlets in Chicago, including the Fox News affiliate and the Daily Herald. Uh, Bobby Hull, again, reportedly passed away. Uh, a this morning, Dad just recently uh, celebrated his 84th birthday, if I'm not mistaken. So we will keep tabs on this story uh, as it moves forward and the reactions to it. Because as mentioned, this probably happened within the news uh, coming forth within the last 30 to 45 minutes. And we're reacting in real time here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, coming up, the Hockey Talk will continue. We're going to be joined by Dan Rosen of NHL.com. Uh, We will look around the league and take away from some of the biggest storylines as we get closer and closer to the All-Star break. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to be joined by Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's very own. iMac is going to join us to talk about all things Canucks. The Canucks All-Star break is already well underway. It began immediately on Friday after they finished their win over the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Canucks are not back in action until Monday, February the 6th, but there's a lot to get to between now and then and a lot to talk about with iMac. So that's coming up. At 8 o'clock. At 8.30, 
We're going to do What We Learns, humanoid version. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can start getting yours in now. Hashtag it WWL and tell us what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports. We will read them on the air. It's your chance to be on the radio. That's all coming up. We've got another hour and a half to go. Don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's really tough. Um, he's a, the type of kid that uh, he wants to keep playing. Like, he wants to keep playing, but it's 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 not the right thing to do. You know, we care about the person. And uh, like I say, he's a high-character guy. For him to be emotional just shows you what kind of caring. And, uh, you know, we've all been there before. He wants to help out. You know, things haven't been going that great, and he wants to be part of the solution. 732 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. So, the audio that we played coming back from break, that was Canucks head coach Rick Tockett talking about Ilya Mikheyev. For those of you that didn't see this somehow over the weekend, the Canucks officially shut down. One of their biggest free agent acquisitions from last summer with a torn ACL. Now, McKayev suffered this injury way back in September, but played through it, had a brace on his knee. Finally, everybody reached the point where they were like, now it's time to do the surgery. That's it for McKayev this year. That was sort of the last vestige of news that we got from the Canucks before they all departed to go to Cabo or wherever else. Mm Mm-hmm. For an extended all-star break. And with that, we realized that here at the Halbro show, uh, we're going to have to get a little bit more creative. We're going to have to start looking a little bit more. They're not going to hand us stories on a platter like they have the last couple weeks. <laughs> I mean, come on. All, all season, really. Yeah, like we come in every Monday. We're like, the Canucks have given us more stuff to talk about. So we're, we're going to have to look at the rest of the league now. We are. You notice that Boston's having a great season? I didn't even notice. I've been Boston. so inundated with Canucks news. Although they've lost some games recently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually news in Boston when they miss a few games. But um, one team I think that we're really going to need to keep an eye on is the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Because they have kind of hit the skids. As of late, Jack Lad- Eichel thrown under the bus. Laddie's favorite player, Jack Eichel, is not mm. performing well. And for me, um, if they don't have Mark Stone healthy, it's huge. Like he might be able to, I guess, even if he's able to play and he's not 100%, he's still very valuable. But for me, he's the best player on that team and he's not healthy right now. And what do you know? The Vegas Golden Knights are not playing well without him. Now, a lot of people might have expected a guy like Jack Eichel to be able to. Pick up the slack, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been able to do that. No, it's been it's been alarming as of late. To be perfectly honest, like they have just two wins in their last ten. Their offense is completely dried up. They just have four goals in their last five. And I mentioned this Vegas Golden Knights team because our next guest got to see him up close and personal recently. Joining us now, happy to have him on the program, uh, Dan Rosen from NHL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Dan? How are you, bud? What's up, boys? How are you? Everything good? Yeah, things are good. Can't complain. Uh, we were just, I don't know if you heard the entire preamble there, but now that the Canucks have got an extended all-star break, we're kind of looking around the NHL, getting through some of these stories, and we were like, oh, Vegas, and then perfect, because, Dan, you just got to see them up close and personal in a rather disappointing loss to the New York Rangers. And I know you tweeted out a bunch about this, including the remarks 
from Bruce Cassidy, who was none too pleased with his team, and I don't think this was just about the 4-1 loss to the Rangers. They haven't been playing well for a while, and at one point they looked like a lock to be one of those teams atop the Pacific Division, but with two wins in their last 10 now, they're sputtering just a bit, and at times it really does not look good on the ice for the Vegas Golden Knights. No, you know what? I don't even think it's just a bit, to be honest with you. like This is an extended run of average yeah. to below average for the Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights. You think about it, like, then I tweeted this out the other night after they lost to the Rangers 4-1, to and then they go and they score one goal again against the New York Islanders, and they lose 2-1 to one in overtime on the Barzal goal. I mean, they were 16-4-1 and one on November 23rd. They were rolling. They were unstoppable, 16-4-1. Since then, they're 13-14-3. Okay, so, I mean, we're talking about 30 games. That's, right. that's close to half a season where they're just – around 500 you know so this is an extended run here uh, now lately it has gone even further off the rails for the vegas golden knights and you did like you, you guys talked about bruce cassidy the other night at, at madison square garden after the 4-1 loss it's not like he was i, I don't want to say he was like fuming or anything like that i don't think bruce necessarily gets that way uh, but he was honest, and, he, and he, he talked about urgency. And, you know, there was a play early in the game where they had a two-on-one, and it was William Carlson and Riley Smith, and they got caught on the two-on-one. It was like, where's the urgency? Like, guys, we got to move. we got to skate here. we gotta, we got to get going here. Um, they've been in first place for a very long time. And now, you know, I, I think – I wonder if it's complacency. It's certainly injuries. We know that. Like you said, Mark Stone, right? I mean – it's injuries, no doubt, but it's a, I think it could be a little complacency. Uh, and now they're, they're not in first place right now. And you wonder, you know, as they come out of the break, where's this going to go for the Vegas Golden Knights? Because I said it on our, our podcast, the NHL at the ring podcast. I said, by no means are they even a lock to make the playoffs at this point. You know, you look at it, Calgary, Nashville, you know, I, I mean, those teams are not in right now and they could overtake Vegas at some point. Now, maybe not Nashville, but, Calgary's only five points back. I think what's great about the playoff races in both conferences this season is if you can look at a handful of teams and know, okay, there are going to be some very noteworthy teams to miss the playoffs. Like you just mentioned the, the, the Western Conference. Like someone's going to have to miss, right? Like Edmonton, mm-hmm. Colorado, Calgary. It doesn't look like Colorado so much anymore, but it did for a bit. Um, and then the team's – on top there, like Seattle, Vegas, L.A., I think it's unlikely that any of those three fall out of the, the position that they've got. They've got some cushion in the standings. But, again, someone's going to have to miss. And if it is, say, Vegas or if it is, say, Calgary, that's a major story. And in the East, it's a similar story, and that's unlike last season when, I don't know, when did we know the eight playoff teams last year? Like, was it around this time last year that we yeah, knew who the teams were yeah. going to be? And now you're looking at it and going, oh, it's like, is Washington going to make it? Because if Buffalo gets in to the top eight, and they've been playing well lately, and, you know, they've got a, they've got a team that's on the grow, as they say, um, you know, the, the, someone's going to have to fall out. And is it going to be a team like Washington or Pittsburgh? Well, you know, I mean, Washington and Pittsburgh both have struggled lately. Buffalo's come on. They've been pretty strong for a while now. The Islanders got that big win against Vegas, and they just can't score, though. I mean, y- you need to score three, and they can't score three. And I remember earlier in the season, I said, you know, at the beginning of the season, I said, if the Islanders can score three goals per game, they will make the playoffs. And they were averaging well over three a game for the first 
a quarter of the season or so, you know, and they were in the mix. And now they're dropped to like since January 1st, they're at about two, if not under two per game. And they've fallen out and they're not that far out, but it's a jumble. There's really, I don't want to count Philadelphia because that's a lot to make up, even though it's only six points. It's a lot to make up in 31 games for the Flyers. But really, when you look at it, there's 11 teams in the East. Last year, there was eight if you count Florida. And I don't want to count Florida out just yet, even though they haven't really had, you know, found a consistency. You know, we'll, we'll see how they are coming out of the break. You can't count them out. They're a team. I think Florida's a team where, you know, if you're going to look at it, and if they went on a 15-game run where they had like they went like 13-1-1, I don't think anybody would be surprised because they are that talented. Uh, and then you look at, at the West, like you said. I mean, Nashville, again, hasn't really found that consistency, hot and cold, hot and cold, same with Calgary. But right there, I don't think Colorado drops. I, and that that's the key thing here is Calgary's not going to overtake Colorado. They're tied in points. Colorado's getting better and better and better. So Calgary's going to have to overtake a team like Edmonton or L.A. or Vegas or maybe even Seattle, right? And that's, you know, I mean, uh, Vegas, if you look at those three, those teams, Vegas is the one to me that has that, that I would say now has the best chance of dropping out just by the way that they've been playing. Uh, on the subject of the New York Islanders, as we inch closer and closer to the trade deadline, does everyone have a real good sense of what Lou Lamorello will or won't do at the deadline for the Islanders? Does anybody have a real good sense of what Lou Lamorello will or won't do at any point Touché. ever in his career? <laughs> so, no, I don't have a sense at all. I mean, it's quite obvious what they need, yes. right? I mean, it's they need goal scoring and they need an infusion of speed. We were, I was talking about this um, with a colleague the other day. If you were to build a team, how do you build a team? You want to build a team from the goalie through the middle, right? The yep. goalie on out through the middle. Well, the Islanders have the goaltending. They have a solid, solid defense. And they have four centers that you would go to war with. I'm, not war, I'm sorry. You would go play on the ice with any time. Barzell, Nelson, Pajot, Suzekis. You'd go, you'd, you'd go into any game and you'd be like, I got a shot. My, my centers are better than yours unless you're playing the Oilers or, you know, the Penguins or something like that, right? But my centers are better than yours. Where is the problem? It's on the wing. They're slow. They're yeah. so slow on the wing. And it's killing them. That's why they can't score. And they need an infusion of skill, and they need speed on the wing. And if it's if it's skill that can play quick, but doesn't maybe doesn't skate quick, but can play quick, that'll work too. They don't have anybody on the wing that just plays quick, and that's their problem. So that's where they got to go. Are they? Uh, is that what they're going to get? I, I don't know. I mean, we thought Lou Lamarillo was going to make moves this summer, and, and he really didn't. You know, we thought he was going to do it uh, last year. He really, he really didn't. So I don't know where they're going to get it. They they have some pieces to do it, but it's uh, they they need to do it. They're a team that needs to act long before the trade deadline in order to stay in the race. I think we're speaking to Dan Rosen from NHL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Dan, I asked you about the Rangers earlier with their on ice performance most recently against the Vegas Golden Knights. Can you explain to our listeners and to us? Uh, exactly what transpired with the Pride Night that was scheduled and then never went through. I know that the Rangers issued a statement, but I'm not really sure how they reached the decision. Can you just kind of lay it out for the listeners who might just be getting caught up to speed with this story? Yeah, I'm not sure how they reached the decision either, um, but apparently, and I didn't see this, but I I was told this, that a couple of weeks ago they they were advertising Pride Night and that they would be wearing Pride jerseys and those jerseys would be auctioned off. 
they've done this before. A lot of teams do, obviously. The, and, and obviously what happened with the Flyers and Provorov, you know, that, that I think the advertising for the Rangers in their pride night happened before the uh, Provorov and the Flyers incident um, and what happened there that night on their pride night. So then they come out on pride night and they're not wearing the jerseys. There's no pride tape. Um, they did have representation for pride night. They um, throughout the, you know, the course of the game, they were welcoming groups of fans, the anthem, all that stuff. They, so there was certainly representation, but there were no jerseys and there was no pride tape. Um, and so it was a tamed down uh, pride night, if you will. I mean, like, I mean, for me, I noticed it right away. I would, I know a lot of other people noticed it right away. The reasons for it, uh, honestly, like the Rangers aren't getting into the reasons for it. I, I don't want to really speculate. I think we can have an understanding of what it might have been, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's sort of a reaction, I guess, to what happened with the Flyers, not looking to create any issues or any extra storylines, even though this did create another issue and another storyline. My feeling on it, just my personal feeling on it, like when teams do these pride nights, now they're not, they don't have to do them, right? But they do them and pride night, you know, military appreciation night, whatever it might be, whatever night you're honoring groups of people, to me, you have to go all in. Like you have to, you can't go halfway in or three quarters of the way in because that also means you're halfway out or a quarter of the way out. Uh, I would prefer that you go all in and, and you handle it however it comes about, you know? Um, so they obviously made decisions to do what they did. They did not come out with the jerseys or the pride tape. Um, and that's what, that's what happened. And they haven't really commented other than to release the statement that they released saying they support and everything. And, but I, I, again, it's one of those things now, just like the Flyers one, that it gets in the way of what the true meaning of the evening is. And there was a lot of good that evening for lots of groups of people that should be more, you know, talked about than this. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes because it creates a storyline. Damn, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the next week. Uh, are you heading to the All-Star Game? I am. I leave Wednesday. It's not so bad going to South Florida. I'll take it. Say. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, well, enjoy the time down there. And uh, <laughs> we'll do this again as we get closer to the trade deadline. All right. You got it, guys. Anytime. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. It's Dan Rosen from NHL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, so I heard that you turned Friday's show into a soccer show. It was awesome. Yeah. It was did, awesome. Did, we the talked. Li- did the listeners agree with that? I had a few people complaining that. Weren't any to tell us. As there soon, was zero listeners. As soon as I went away for one day, Halford turned uh, the show into a soccer show. You had Peter Galindo in with studio. you. In and studio. And his dad came too. What? Yeah. yeah. To add to the soccer talk or something? No, he just, wanted, was to just, excited. He just wanted to hang out. So we got an extra listener. Okay. Can you say that? We also discovered you like the nickname Jace, and we should use it I more don't. often. Why did that come up? We should we should use it more often. Oh, How did that come us? up? How, well, I brought it Nobody up. I'm trying to remember. Calls the, me Jace at all, I or said, ever. I said the, or Jay. I said he hates being called Jay. The only thing he might being hate called called more, The only thing he might hate, hate being, being called, called more. more is Jace. Jace. Yeah. So I, obviously we got to get this going now, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. I actually don't, don't. I don't. I hate those things. I just know. I just know that nobody calls me those ever. The man's name is Jason. You're walking down yeah. the street. Somebody yells, "Jay!" Anyway, do you look? Do you yeah. turn? Yeah. We're getting sure. off topic here because okay. when Jay took Friday off, Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I went. I went full soccer nerd. I don't apologize for any of it. Okay, I do want to have one soccer conversation yeah! with you. Woo! Um. Okay, we all we all know the Wrexham story, Ryan Reynolds, uh, and. 
Rob McElhaney. There is that go. his name? There you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, bought the this this Welsh team that's in the fifth division, and you know they bought it kind of for multiple reasons. Number one, they're rich and they can do cool stuff like that, okay. but also for the content, right? They're creating a program and they have created a program about this team and its importance to the town. And also they're trying, they're kind of trying to rescue this team. And in English soccer, you have promotion and you have relegation. So they're going to, I assume invest in this team and try and get it promoted throughout the ranks of English soccer. And also this team happens to be in the FA cup because teams get entered into the FA cup. Um, and it's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they played Sheffield United, yes, which is in the second division. In the correct? championship, it's in the championship. Just called this- the second division. So it was a fifth division versus the second division. They were seventy teams higher, basically, in on the, right. on the English Premier ladder because Sheffield looks like they're going back up to the Premier League. And they nearly beat them, save for a stoppage time goal by Sheffield United. So the they got to play it again. They the got to play it again. Yeah, they got a replay. Okay, it's, just it's don't all don't, over don't show off just because you know their nicknames and all that sort of stuff. This the, is they let's call just, them the Blades. Okay, awesome. So here's my question for you: Since I've been through all that, yep. Um, why are there so many people that I see online, and a lot of them are seem to be like hardcore MLS fans mm-hmm. that don't like this story? Because they think that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney should have invested in a North American team like this. So they're, I think it's, I think it's, complete. so they're completely just being selfish and ignorant to the fact that the history of the club, the history of the league, the relegation and promotion model that you've got in England compared to MLS. Not to mention the fact that there are competitions like the FA Cup where you could potentially have teams like Wrexham play against some of the giants of world soccer. They're just ignoring that because they want Ryan Reynolds and and, and Rob McElhaney to invest in MLS. And then, like, what would the story be then? Let me see if I I can put it this way. I think there's some of them that are upset that at the Eagles tailgate on Sunday, uh, it, the the city became a Wrexham city when they've got an MLS team in Philadelphia called the Union that's been there for a long time and is trying to make inroads. And I think there is some cynicism about the Hollywood nature of this, that it was uh, deep-pocketed uh, American celebrities that were going over and doing this um, not for the good of Wrexham, but for the good of themselves, right? They're like, if they genuinely wanted to start something grassroots and build the game in America, they didn't have to go all the way to Wales too. Now, keep in mind, I agree with absolutely none of this. <laughs> it's so I just silly, make that man. Clear. It's so silly. But I did see a, a Like, large... you have to be able to sell it too, though. Well, this, you know? is, this is really interesting because I watched Welcome to Wrexham. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's a little schmaltzy. Yeah kind of seen the, the the script before right you know it's got all the the the, the americans that are the fish out of water going to the uk you're gonna find some colorful townsfolk to talk to right is that is it an old steel town it's down <laughs> on its luck yeah right does the does the team mean more to these people than other teams and others all those very very <laughs> syrupy narratives that you throw there so it kind of fit the bill I like the fact that this has now become something that they didn't expect. Like, to be clear, 
No one expected, because what happened was in the previous round, they also knocked off a team that was way ahead of them in the English football pyramid. They beat Coventry, who's also a championship team. Mm -hmm. And that was a big upset. And they just kind of keep doing it. And Ryan Reynolds flew in for the game. McElhinney stayed in Philadelphia to do the Eagles stuff. And you could see on his face that like, he's beloved as an owner. Yeah. Reynolds. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the weird part is that well, I Well, did you see the new uh stand that they're building there? There's huge construction in the background of yeah, the Yeah, but but he yeah. but he was he he got that through. He helped get that yeah. through, right? Well, I, here's the thing. I think and especially like you and I are kind of cynical people by nature. No, come on. We're always like what's what's the real end game here, Ryan Reynolds? Like yeah. are you trying to sell Deadpool merch to the Welsh? Like what's going on? <laughs> What's the real end game here? And then right away, when I saw this go through, the first thing I thought was content. He's doing this for content. Well, he is doing it for content. They're making a show. Turn the team around. But that's, what's ha- but that's the funny that's thing. The benefit. That's the funny this thing. Is the bonus. Like it seems like a win, 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 win. Except for the MLS fans are like, why can't you do it for what us? What inferiority complex, though? What other league's fans have this kind of comp- Does the KHL's team get angry when the NHL gets a big investment? Like, I don't what know. A weird I don't, I don't, reaction. I'm not on any KHL message board, so I don't know. <laughs> it's so bizarre to me. Like, yeah. Yeah. What? I, well, I just think, I just think it's MLS really- fans do have... Uh, I think they do have a bit of a, a complex, and that's because there are some people that will be like they they're they're in some they're somewhat remind me of CFL fans that are kind of like, why don't you support local? Like support local. Like this is your team. You should be supporting this team. Why are you supporting the NFL? And then people will be like, uh, I like the league more, right? Product. I like the product more, and we live in increasingly global world where we can watch this stuff well it's right? also and we can be invested the in other this sort of stuff it's, it is all very caustic i've used that word a few times but the other thing too is like a lot of the critics are also pointing out that this is honestly not far removed from the entire plot of ted lasso honestly yeah minus the coach just, but it's the american <laughs> the out of you know the fish out of water american coming over yeah, you don't have that fish out of water story if you buy i don't know what, what the what, philadelphia what, union or, no but uh, yeah. not even mls like what's the league below oh, it? usl yeah yeah but then there you're like <laughs> what's the story do you can you get promoted no yeah we bought the We're las, in this league <laughs> we bought the las vegas lights from the usl like with the, and ha- they have years of history yeah. like 10 of them what does it mean to the town very little yeah precious nothing like half the people <laughs> here don't know that the team exists and it but it is so in addition to everything else Wrexham's the oldest football club in recorded history if I'm not mistaken third mm-hmm. oldest I believe. third oldest was it okay anyway right. so there's so many things cooked and baked into the recipe here that existed well before Ryan Reynolds ever came yeah. on board but the thing that got me over the weekend was and I know he's an actor, so he could just be putting it on. But between the interactions with the supporters and watching something unscripted play out. Yeah, it was really cool. But the best part was was that the ending was not Hollywood whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They actually blew it at the end. That was a bit... Cause Sheff- so now they have to go to Sheffield, right? That's yeah, where the and, replay would be? And Sheffield was down to 10 men in that match. Right. Like, yeah. Wrexham had it all on a platter. Mm-hmm. All they had to do was, and the goal that they conceded was, was it off a corner? Uh, no, it was. Or was it? Yeah, I think it was. It was the ball came across, mm-hmm. and it was just. That's like, what happens in corners. It was almost a jam play, oh, as okay. I use some hockey terminology. You right. just kind of jammed it in there. Anyway, bigger point, <laughs> bigger picture. 
Yeah, just let it go. Um, that was that was what was cool about it. Is Reynolds was actually you could see he was upset, but he was so appreciative of how the fans responded, and the fans love it mm-hmm. because they they really did salvage their club, and now they're doing these things that they never thought possible. Like when did you ever think that Wrexham would be the focal point? Of a tailgate party, a pregame party for the <laughs> NFC Championship game. Yeah, it's awesome. Like it it's, no it's I think it's a great story, and yeah. I think if you if you're just ignoring all that, all the different angles that had to come into play for this to be a successful venture by the likes of Ryan Reynolds, then I think you're being a little myopic and maybe even a little bit selfish. Yeah. Speaking of selfish, no, just kidding. Uh, Ian McIntyre is, is going to join us next. We'll talk about the Vancouver Canucks, uh, the Ilya. Mikheyev, um decision to shut him down for the season and also the decision that was made earlier in the season for him to keep playing on a torn ACL. Uh, the Canucks are on the All-Star break right now, so we'll look back or maybe we'll look forward with IMAC for the rest of the season. I sure. think we've done enough looking back and we know what's in the rearview mirror and it's not very good. Ian McIntyre is going to join us next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. He hates being called Jay. The only thing he might be hate called called it more. Look. They got these big chewy pretzels here. They're like, oh, you guys want some beer? You know, Five dollars? Get out of here. 